Welcome back to another episode of Always Hope, a production of Wilwood's Faith and Marriage. I am your host, Dr. Mario, and I'm happy to share this episode with you today. Millennials are not as involved in religious traditions as previous generations. This is an undeniable fact. Yet, rather than being intimidated by this, how do we see this as an opportunity? Instead of feeling the pressure to change church teachings or to come up with some new gimmick to make the faith more hip, how about we just get back to the basics? We encourage prayer and a relationship with Jesus. These are the thoughts proposed by today's guest, Father Josh Johnson, a priest of the Diocese of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He is a popular speaker, podcaster, and has just released his first book, Broken and Blessed, An Invitation to My Generation. Yes, he is a busy guy and a millennial priest. He loves speaking to his generation of believers and non-believers. In this episode, we talk about possible reasons for the sharp decline in religious affiliation among millennials, the importance of encouraging prayer as the first step of evangelization, the need to listen to the messages of the culture and respond appropriately, and we end our show by briefly discussing how our churches in America are affected by racism. We got another great episode for you today. Thanks for being with us. And when you are finished, please head over to faithandmarriage.org for more great information on life, relationships, and faith. Let's get into the show. Father Josh, joining me this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is, whatever time you're listening to this podcast, this doesn't really matter. Um, let's talk about millennials. Yeah. All right. So in the study in 2014 conducted by the Pew Research Center said that 35% of all American millennials are non-religious affiliated. That means they're agnostic, atheist, or just spiritual, but non-religious. So no, no institutional religion, 35%, right? And millennials, again, as we're defining it, is between 1991, people born between 1981 and 1996. Um, so that cohort is, uh, is there. We don't yet know the research of the post-millennials, those after 1997 and on, the iGen generation, whatever they're called. But, um, but you know, as far as the millennials are concerned, that's, that's what we see. And I guess one of the aims that I want to have for the podcast is always kind of like looking at these things or various items and saying, okay, well, how do we still have hope in the midst of all this, right? Like, because Jesus is still alive, the Holy Spirit's still operative, right? So we can look at this and be like, oh my gosh, it's the future of America is very daunting. You know, over a third of the country, you know, is saying they don't believe in God anymore. Um, so, but what's up with that? What do you think? What do you think is contributing to that? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess as a millennial, I was born in 87. I'm an 80s baby. I, I can speak to the reality that most people in my generation, our, our formation wasn't that good. It was it was pretty lacking. Uh, we were not really given the real Jesus mm-hmm. whenever we went through a religious education, our CCD, our PSR. I think that uh, the homilies were lacking uh, in general for, for most of us. And so we never uh, knew who Jesus was and is um, and in the purpose of the church. And so we naturally resisted because what was presented to me uh, was just a bunch of rules. Like I never was presented this reality that I could have a personal, living, vital relationship with Jesus, that Jesus Christ was real and that he wanted to be in a relationship with me. That was never the case. It was always the rules, the rules and the rules and the rules are awesome. But sure. if you're not in a relationship with a person, you don't care about what, they, what their rules are. And so um, 
it wasn't until like for me, I came into a relationship with Jesus that all of a sudden I cared about the church. And I found this to be the case with all of the young adults that I've worked with when I was at LSU doing campus ministry. Now that I'm in a parish and it's really just exploding right now by the grace of God. Uh, when we preach Jesus and help people to encounter the living God, once people enter into a relationship with him, everything else changes. And especially when you fall in love with somebody, you're married. Uh, when you fall in love with the person, all of a sudden you care about what they care about. And what Jesus does care about is his church and, and his rules of his religion that he founded. And, and so as we teach people how to fall in love um, with God and help them encounter him, I think that helps more people come into uh, a real discipleship yeah. uh, and, uh, and a real longing to be a member of the church be associated with religion. Um, but yeah, we just, we were presented this really wacky Jesus. I think growing up this cartoon character, um, of Jesus and in the church was just a bunch of a list of rules that we had to follow and obey without knowing why. Yeah. And so there was like no connection between what those rules were, whether somebody had to like stamp a card or something. It was like to be Catholic, you had to look like this, this, or this. And, mm -hmm. and forgetting that the whole purpose of evangelization of the mission of the church is so that we can come to know who God is. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, man, like what, when do we lose that? Like, why do we lose that? Yeah. I don't know. I, I do think though, um, with that, uh, I, I, part of it is like one of the gifts of our Protestant brothers and sisters that I think is very helpful. Yeah. Uh, they do really well as relationships and community and we're all created for community. I think mm -hmm. we can all like, we recognize that we all have a desire to be a part of a community. And I think for a long time, even in, in our church, um, we didn't emphasize that enough. Like just the, right. the need that we all have for community. And so like for, for us growing up, we weren't welcomed by our church. We weren't included by di different people um, in our church to, to be a part of a community. And so uh, as, as kids growing up in the 80s and the early 90s, uh, sometimes what we can do is we can put that on to God and say, if the, if the community, the church is so also impersonal, then God's also impersonal. I therefore don't need a relationship with God as the church proposes Jesus Christ is. And I'm going to find my own spirituality, whatever that might be, or nothing at all. Um, but I, I think that's the other big thing too, is that, we didn't know how to do community well for a very long time, even outside of the bad catechesis and the, and the, the lack of evangelization in the church. I think the community aspect is huge and we're starting to get that. I think now we're coming on board and we're learning from sure. a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters how to do community well. Uh, and that's helpful. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think that's another thing. It's just, we all want to be a part. We desire to, to belong. And if we're not going to be welcomed into the church, then we're going to find another community outside the church. Do you think that, I mean, it, this generation also, it seems that there is a, a rise in the divorce rate as well. And so this is the first kind of generation to, to be raised in a, you know, 50% divorce rate or whatever it's been for the last, you know, however many years. Um, do you think that that plays a role into like the inability to trust? So if, if it's like, if the church isn't doing its job in terms of bringing real community and then home isn't doing its job in terms of bringing real community, where do you go? No, right. right. I mean, where do you go? I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. There's a huge distrust um, that we're all like, we don't feel safe. Right. right? Where, yeah, you know, that's so, so true. Yeah. And then even, yeah, not only the divorce, but just with, with, when we see priestly the priesthood too, it's like, there's like this instability, you know, like I, I, I don't know where I, who I can trust anymore. Right. And if all these people in my life who I thought were going to be there as a, as a rock for me aren't available, uh, then maybe God won't be, a, be there for me either. And we always project all these 
these broken relationships onto our, our awesome God. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I mean, so I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but, but talking about um, the, the scandal, you know, right now, I mean, that's the, that's the real gravity of the sin, you know, of the scandal is that exactly what you just said. When, when you can't trust the institutions, you can't trust the icons, you can't trust the symbols to, to do what they're supposed to do, which is that each of these things are in place to try to communicate God's presence, this invisible God, try to make him visible through the sacraments, through your life as a priest, my life as a, as a married man, through the vocations that we're in. But when the, the, the images themselves are marred and it gets really hard. Yes. To like look beyond that and to say, well, God, are you still real? And yeah. like you and me, we're men of faith. And so we, well, at least we try to be, right? And so we can still believe. But when you think of somebody who's coming into the church or just beginning to question or, or start asking questions like, hey, you know, I have iPhones and I have everything that I want materially, but I still have this longing in my heart that isn't being satisfied. And that's precisely where they're supposed to bring that longing to the safety and security of Mother Church. But they don't because they don't trust that safety and security is going to be met for them there. I agree. I mean, (laughs) no, it's true, bro. (laughs) That's that's what it is. (laughs) Yeah. It's tough, man. It's tough. So we got to pray. We got to pray for conversion for all of us. That's that's the thing is that whenever we, holiness changes people like mother Teresa suffering, she never knew response. Yeah. But like she's transformed. I mean, she knows me now that she's in heaven, but like her witness has transformed my life. Yeah. And so whenever we really um, do the work of being intentional in our relationship with God and striving for virtue, that witness will transform societies. Like Pope Paul VI said, he said, people don't listen to teachers anymore. They listen to witnesses. And so I think what we need is more witnesses, which is, as you say, it's very difficult because it's not easy to be holy or to try to be holy. It's very difficult. It's it's a struggle every day. Um, But whenever we live in that struggle and embrace that cross, uh, it will impact other people's walk toward eternity. Right. Amen. So if, if before there was too much emphasis on the rules mm-hmm. uh, and the disconnect in the relationship, what, what do we need to do better? Yeah. So the, I, I'm, a and big, I mean, I mean, we, as the church, right. Your priest, your pastor yeah. to your community, me, I'm a father, right. To my kids, like what do pastors need to do better? What do parents need to do better to make sure that we're evangelizing, you know, this generation and the one that's coming after. Yeah. Better? So pray. Right. I mean, to me, it all comes down everything. And and just in my limited walk has always, everything comes down to our commitment to our time with God in prayer. Like no matter how busy you are, St. Francis says, if you're busy, you should what pray 30 minutes a day or something like that, or or pray 30 normally if you're busy an hour. Um, Whenever we, the more time that we spend with Jesus, like his grace does all the work. Like literally, I can't tell you how many times I've just gone to my committed time of prayer and I'm tired and I'm frustrated and I'm exhausted and all this stuff's going on in my parish and in my life and with my family. But I show up to Jesus and everything that needs to happen happens. Like there's no way that, that God won't give us grace if we just show up. Like you go to the beach, you get a suntan, you show up to Jesus Christ in your committed time of prayer. And even if we can't see what he's doing, he's going to do stuff in our hearts and in our minds. He's going to transform us and allow us to be instruments of him in the world. Like we're the body of Christ. And so as a married person, as a priest, religious, single people, uh, young, old, widowed, whatever, when we're faithful to Jesus, like literally 
mess is still going to be there and storms are still going to be there, but we're going to have the grace to literally be his instruments to bring about transformation in our world. And I think too often we neglect that time with Jesus because of the busyness of our lives, because of all the stuff going on out there in the world and all the stuff going on in here in our hearts. We don't actually dwell on the face of God and dwell on his word. And instead we focus, we even go to prayer, but we focus on our lives and our mess and we navel gaze or we focus on discernment or whatever. And we just don't focus on him. And so I think if we can get back to a place where we prioritize the spiritual life um, and the interior life, then from the interior life will flow the work of being a good husband and a father of being a son and a brother of being a priest of being a religious of being a dedicated disciple of Jesus Christ as a single person or, or a widow or widower. Um, it all comes down to that time that we are, or are not spending with Jesus in prayer. And it's that simple. And I think from that flows everything like in my parish, when I got to my parish, now I'm at our lady Holy rosary. And I really felt the Lord invite me just speak about me and speak, teach your people how to pray. Mm -hmm. And so for like my first month there, all I did was focus on Jesus and how to encounter Jesus in adoration, how to encounter Jesus in the rosary, how to encounter Jesus uh, through the scriptures, specifically Lexio Divina. And all of a sudden uh, I started having all these appointments with people who were living in sin. I had couples come to me who were married outside the church um, who now that they were praying with the word of God and they were encountering Jesus and committed times of, like a prayer every day uh, in the word of God, they heard Jesus who now they were falling in love with say this difficult teaching on marriage and divorce. And all of a sudden they're right. like, father, we, we don't want to go to hell. We love Jesus so much. Like we, we believe in his presence in the Eucharist. Now we believe in this. We don't want to go to hell. What can we do? All right. We can work together now because now they encounter Jesus That's right. because of the, their, their interior life. And so if I would have just came in there and preached about marriage and divorce without them knowing Jesus, they'd be like, Oh, father Josh is just mean old, a young priest. He's conservative or some, you know, whatever right. label, but no, like it was just Jesus in prayer. This, the interior life motivated this transformation and now they're living in a state of grace and now they're on their way to becoming hopefully can they live in lives that are canonizable now certainly right um the rules the regulation i mean we need we need them obviously there's some morality i'm not saying it's not there but when we come strong with this how do i describe it I, my, my experience has almost been like it's almost like this is what it means to be catholic right and for you to enter the threshold of the church, you have to almost like swallow the whole thing in one gulp, you know? Yeah. It's like, you, you got to take it all or leave it. Well, you even know? our confirmation programs are that way. Right. Right. Confirmation is not a sacrament where we say, I understand every teaching of the, I mean, like, you've been married for how long, Mario? 15 years, so 16 years. Yeah. When you entered your sacrament of marriage, would you say you knew more about your wife then or more now, 15 years into it? Definitely more now. Right. So without like, a it, doubt. The, we grow in our sacraments. So like whenever I've received my first Holy Communion, right. I definitely did not like know and love the Eucharist as much as I do now because it grows. And so confirmation is a sacrament about receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And canon law says to receive that sacrament, all you have to do is know what it is and want it. But instead, we've made confirmation this this um, school where kids have to jump through hoops. And if you don't do this many service hours, and if you don't do this many retreats, right. and if you don't understand all these teachings of the Catholic Church, then you can't receive the sacrament. And I'm thinking... What happened in our church to where the sacrament of confirmation became a Catholic version of a Protestant altar call where we say we believe all this stuff? It's like, no, confirmation is about saying, I want to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit so I can then use my charisms, I receive the baptism to transform the world. Now it's this whole thing of, I have to know all this stuff. And like, I'm a priest 
And I'm still learning. Like I, I, one of my friends, a theology professor at Franciscan University, and uh, he listens to my podcast. And one of your comments said, hey, you said the same podcast. He said, I would, I would challenge you to go deeper with this because the catechism says this. And I said, dude, thank you so much. I'm a priest. And I'm still learning about my, my church and sure, the, and the right. gift. And so, no, it's like we need to know Jesus. And over time, like any relationship, Jesus will slowly, like my, my bad, the apostles, Peter, John chapter 6. Jesus Christ gives a better life discourse. Right, Do right. you think Peter understood transubstantiation at the better life discourse in John 6? Heck no. He didn't get it all then, but he knew Jesus. And he's like, okay, Jesus, I'm pretty sure I don't understand everything you're saying about the bread of life, but I know you and I trust you. So I'm going to stay with you. And over time, Peter got it. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we can propose our faith. It's like, all right, whatever you're struggling with, it's a good thing to struggle. It's a good thing to have doubt like Thomas because that's how we end up growing. Just trust that Jesus Christ isn't lying to you. Stay in relationship with Jesus and he'll teach you over time. The thing we do in the church is we preach oftentimes, unfortunately, rules without relationship with that's Christ. Yeah, yeah. And rules without relationship will always lead to rebellion. Always. That's why so many people, Catholics, resist the church and they can't wait to get confirmed and graduate from the Catholic Church. That's how it was for me. I mean, you said it was like uh, like an altar call. For me, it was like the Catholic version of a bar mitzvah. I had no idea what yeah. was going on. Like all of a sudden, I'm the man and I graduated from CCD and now I can, you know, do whatever I want now at this I'm point. Sin now. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I got confirmed, whatever whatever that meant. Yeah. And that was my life throughout high school until I had my conversion in college. But I mean, it it... It just doesn't, it just seems like we have it. It's almost like we have it, not just that we have it backwards, but I really think even it's deeper than that. It's almost as if the simplicity of the message that you're proposing, and we're going to get to the book in a little bit, you know, your first book, which is beautiful. Um, but the simplicity of the message that you're proposing is, is like, it's not enough. It is almost like, like we don't trust Jesus enough to speak to the people that, that we need to have all these arguments in place. Now, again, I'm, I'm not saying that's not important. It is important, but but if we don't trust that Jesus is enough for this person's heart to lead them on their journey of faith, to form their conscience, that we're going to help them form their conscience. We're not just going to leave them there, yeah. but help guide them and form them. Like, I don't know, man. Yeah, I think our role as a church is, is to accompany people in their walk with Jesus and to really believe that that same Jesus Christ who walked and who talked and who, who preached and, and everything, like he did the miracles 2000 years ago, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's alive. He's a living God. His Holy, the Holy Spirit is not some vague spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ, and he is with us. And if we could really believe that, like Jesus Christ is not some, some like thought of or, or some imaginative character. Like Jesus Christ is living among us. And when we believe that, I think then, then we're going to see miracles happen. We're going to see transformation. We're going to see people fall in love with the body of Christ, the church. Um, I don't think a lot of us really believe that Jesus Christ is operative today the way that he was 2000 years ago. Um, he is sufficient. I got it. And, and I think this, this impacts everything. It's not just bringing millennials back to the church. I mean, this is with discernment. It's Jesus Christ. And like whenever I became pastor, uh, the, you know, as a priest, the bishop moves me from parish to parish. Is Jesus Christ sufficient for me as a pastor? to go wherever he sends me to the, and to trust that he will supply that, which I need to become a saint is God sufficient. Or do I have to have God and my friends living in my same deanery? Do I have to have to have God and this really great ministry going on in my parish? Do I have to have God and this really awesome prayer life that's filled with consolation? Right. No, 
Jesus Christ must be enough, period. And when he's enough, period, then I think we begin to see the growth happen and the maturity happen, not only in our lives, but also in our community that we are walking with. Amen, man. I just had a retreat this past weekend. First time I did a personal retreat in years. And Kristen, my wife, God bless her, you know, sacrificed to watch the boys so I can go to Omaha, Nebraska, you know, and spend a weekend with a holy priest up there. And right out of the gates, uh, Father Rafferty, one of the things he convicted me with was to pray with Psalm 62, you know, my soul find rest in God alone. And like, mm. like, so it was that. And then it was also in Matthew's gospel where Jesus says, uh, you know, seek and you shall find, you know, knock and the door shall be given, shall be open to you, right? You ask the questions and they will be answered in the sense of like, I mean, I don't even know what I'm asking anymore, right? Yeah. Like, what does it really mean to rest with God? Like to just be with God alone. Like you said, now all the other stuff kind of goes away, right? All the consolations he's given me, all the ways he's used different things to console me are good. Those are all good things, but he's still more than that. And somehow we, we, we forget, I forgot, right? I forgot, or at least I should say, I shouldn't be so hard on myself. I was invited this week into deeper conversion to understand what that means more in my own life. But just recognizing that, that God's enough, man. Like, and if we do that and we let people be blessed and encouraged and just at least show them, point them in that direction, then, uh, then he's going to take care of it. And, and to follow up with that, the yeah. only way that God can be enough in my experience is again, when we intentionally prioritize time with him in prayer. Amen. When yeah, I was at my last parish time. one time, it was just really busy. I had a lot of stuff going on and uh, there it was just so much. And like, like so many people who listen to your podcast, they have so much going on in their lives. And so I never missed a time of prayer. But what happened was is I stopped having intimacy with God in prayer and my prayer time became work. I began to discern projects for the parish. I interceded for people during that whole time of prayer. And this went on for months praying this way. And so then I became a very depressed person and I was very dark. And one of my friends was like, what's wrong with you? Like, you're not, you're a joyful person. Why are you acting this way? And I was thinking, I don't know. And she said, well, maybe you should go pray some more. And I said, I'm praying the liturgy hours every day. I'm doing mass. I got my rosary. I'm doing a holy hour with the Eucharist. I don't know how much more I can pray. And she said, I think you should pray. And when I went to the chapel, so I went and I marched off three hours to spend with the Eucharist. And in that time, it hit me. I have not heard God tell me in the word of God and in prayer, I love you in three, like months. And I have not told God I loved him because I was no longer focusing on that relationship anymore. I was focusing on work over prayer. And I, I didn't even know how it happened. And so I think, again, whenever we prioritize that relationship with God in prayer, then all of a sudden I went back to work the next day. And there was still a lot of mess going on. There was drama going on. There were all these, these things are happening, but there was an interior peace in my, in my heart because he, he supplied because I, my, the love of my life supplied that, which I, I needed. Yeah. Um, and so I think, yeah, that's it, man. You know, I just, but I still mess up with that. I still sometimes go into well, prayer. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, it's a relationship just like anything else. Yeah. And so if you're not telling your wife, you'll love her. You know, if you go three yeah. months without hearing that from your wife, your, your mind's going to go crazy. Right. Yeah. You're going to start thinking uh, different things and thinking, oh man, what's going on? And, and then it goes down rabbit holes and these different dark tunnels very mm -hmm. quickly yeah. because, you know, our imagination can get the best of us. This is the Always Hope podcast with Dr. Mario. Today I'm speaking with Father Josh Johnson, author of the book, Broken and Blessed, An Invitation to My Generation. If you have enjoyed this show, please check out our other episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and don't forget to subscribe.
So let's talk about the book. Sweet. Broken and Blessed. Yeah. First book, huh? First book. First baby. This is my baby. Congratulations, Thank man. Thank you. What, what made you want to tackle this subject? Tell me about the book. Tell me who it's written for. Yeah. What are you trying to do in it? Yeah. So, I mean, my audience in the book primarily are, are people, Catholics, who either have already left the church or they are Catholic right now, but they're still struggling. You know, they're struggling with being in the church, and especially in our times right now with all the mess going on with the scandals and everything. It couldn't have been a perfect time for the book to come out. I did not write the book knowing that the scandals were going to hit again like they have in recent um, weeks. Um, but certainly addressing the messiness of our lives and the messiness of the church was the point of the book. Uh, in my limited experience of ministry, one thing that I've recognized that has just worked really well uh, is is being a witness to the reality that my life, your life, all of our lives are really messy. We're, we're imperfect. We all struggle with different things. And so with prudence, like I, one of my sayings is share your chicken nuggets with withhold the barbecue sauce. With prudence, <laughs> I share my chicken nuggets in the book of how I have allowed the Lord um, to encounter me and my brokenness as a potential model for other people to to use as as a springboard to allow Jesus to encounter them in their mess. Because if we can experience the Lord's love and his mercy in our mess through the spiritual life, the interior life, then it becomes more possible for us to see our brothers and sisters who also are really broken and sinful and imperfect and messy and lean into those relationships with them the way that Jesus Christ leans into a relationship with us and our mess. And if we remain in relationship with Jesus, then we'll become saints like the apostles. Likewise, if we remain in relationship with the body of Jesus Christ, the church, who is both holy, but also really, really broken, um, then we can be those sources of renewal for them the way that Christ renews us by remaining in relationship with us. And so, uh, Hopefully, uh, the book will be a, a gift to people who are struggling, first of all, with Jesus because of the way he was proposed to them. And so encountering the real Christ as he reveals himself to us in the church and in the Gospels. So what I appreciate about the book was that you, you take the basics of the faith, right? the basics of why the church, why an institution of the church, why prayer, why Jesus Basics of prayer, you know, Lexio, the rosary, the litany of humility is in there. Beautiful, right? All, all of this, but just trying to give it a fresh perspective and try to um, be appropriately vulnerable. As you said, uh, you you put the chicken nuggets, but you didn't give the barbecue sauce. Yeah, I spread the barbecue which, sauce for my time with you. Well, right. you know, and I have to say in our family, we're Chick-fil-A guys, so it would have been Polynesian sauce at our house, you know? Nice. So, so, so you got the chicken nuggets, but the Polynesian sauce is over here. Um, and, and I think that's appropriate. So appropriate vulnerability. Um, which is a different, how do I, I don't want to say this to be whatever, but a different tactic, I guess that's the only word that comes to mind than taking a real theological treatise or real yeah. philosophical arm because the, the, the arguments of atheism and materialism and secularism are really loud. Yeah. And in our college campuses, they're very, they're, um, they're, they're, they're very loud. I don't know how else to say it. Right. And, and there are plenty of books obviously that can speak against that. But, but the approach that you seem to take, and I think it's a, it's a needed voice, is uh, to say, well, well, what about witness, right? Uh, what about vulnerability? Uh, what about love? And if we start there again, then maybe there's a group of people who, who will be interested in that. Yeah. And am, that's am, am I been, reading it right? You are. And, and that's just been, to be honest, my experience as a priest um, 
so many people, by the grace of God, have come back to the sacraments and have become intentional disciples of Jesus um, through this this approach mm-hmm. that that I offer in the book. And so I recognize that now that I'm a pastor, I can't travel the way I used to travel when I was in seminary, when I was an associate pastor. And so um, I wanted to write a book so that since I can't go there physically and like spend time with people and evangelize and share the joy of the gospel, the joy of Jesus, the joy of the church with others. If I wrote this in a book, it could become a gift for people to just do with God in their own time, in their own communities, in their own relationship with the Lord and the church. And and so that's my, my hope is that it will just be an instrument uh, for people to go deeper with Jesus and really encounter the Lord and then go deeper with the church. Cause we need every member, like we need each other there. Every member of the body of Christ, St. Paul writes in first Corinthians, he says, I can't say, I don't need you. And I think the church, I know, I don't think, I know the church is limping right now. The church is not running. We are limping because members of the body of Christ are not uh, serving in the place that Christ placed them in. Amen. Like Christ put each one of us, St. Paul writes, he, he placed us in the organs where we belong or whatever. So we're not living out that role in the body of Christ. And because of that, we're limping. And so if people can hopefully encounter the Lord in the church in a new way, I said, there's nothing new in the book at all. The book, there's nothing new. I'm just representing Jesus in the church. I'm reproposing yeah. a relationship with him in the church in the book. But if people can receive this invitation, then potentially they will live out their role in the body of Christ. And we will see a transformation in our world, the way that Poland experienced a transformation, um, under the saints, John Paul and Faustina and blessed Jersey Popoluski, I think America is really struggling, right? The world in general, but like American Catholicism is really lacking right now. And uh, hopefully this could be a source that God uses to help them become saints. Praise God. Praise yeah. God, man. Yeah. And just offer that fresh perspective in uh, your own uh, cultural references and, oh, yeah. and having lived in the world and, you know, bringing yeah, all that to it, all I that flavor. In the world. I'm a Dyson priest, right? That's right. So I'm still in the world with, with my people, with the laity and the world is not a bad place. I think no, the of world course is called to be redeemed. And so learning our audience only happens whenever we listen well. And so to listen well, and this is not in this book, this is going to be my second book that we're not going to talk about now because it's not ready yet. And I don't want to give the idea to someone else to write it before I can. Um, but the notion of fasting we've lost as a culture. And so St. John Christum talks about fasting. He writes how we shouldn't just fast from food, but we need to fast from our speech. And so if we can learn how to listen right well to the people that we're in relationship with, then from discerning those people that we're in relationship with, we can discern with the Holy Spirit how we can best communicate the gospel. Reality is most people in my generation spend a lot of their time on social media. Most people in my generation are, are, are really immersing themselves in the hip hop culture and the pop culture mm-hmm. and whatever. And so if I were to come and approach this as a priest and say, well, I'm going to reject social media, I'm going to reject pop music and, and hip hop and whatever, because that's all of the devil or some something like that, then how am I going to be able to communicate Jesus to them and draw them to Christ and his church and then to insert them back into the world, back into social media, back into pop music and, and hip hop with a redeemed mentality now, with a redeemed heart to go sanctify that from within. Like we live, I think sometimes as disciples and we say, oh, we have to reject all this. And I'm like, nah, let's redeem it. 
That's right. Redeem, we reform it from within. When we reject it, we get the Protestant Reformation. You know, we get all these different branches of people who now hate each other, who can't communicate with each other, and who have all these different whatever. It's like, nah, like, let's just stay together. Let's just, uh, what's that? Is that Al Green? Let's, boom, mm. let's stay together. Right? And we stay together and we reform from within by entering into real relationships. In the listening piece, right? That if, if we're listening to, the songs that are popular, they're communicating something. They're popular for a reason because there's a lot of people listening to them and there's echoes right within their own heart of what's being communicated by the musician. Yeah. And so if we're listening to what those artists are, are tapping into, then that helps us in our evangelization efforts. It does, yeah. And it's not just evangelization. Sometimes it comes across like a, like a salesman. I, sometimes I dislike using the word because it's been almost feels dirty sometimes. It's like, oh, you know, you got to evangelize because I got to keep my numbers, you know, and like I have my tally of how many people I brought in, you know, it's not, that's not what I mean by it. But, uh, but just again, preaching the gospel and, and again, like I asked it earlier, but I'm just gonna ask again, like, like love, listening, engaging in relationships. That's it. That's all it is. That's it. It's that simple. That's it. Why, why do we complicate it so much? Why do we, why do we not see it as being just that simple? Okay. Well, a few things, and this is, and, and just like preface, I'm broken and perfect. So everything no I'm saying, you know, of course, I, come I on, that's a given all of these, like all of my thoughts, but this is, you know, you're asking me the question. I think number one is we don't, uh, have a definition for love. We've abused that term. And so we don't know what love is right. in our culture, in our world, in our church. Uh, sometimes the church knows, but those of us who are members of the body of Christ, sometimes we haven't immersed ourselves in the writings of like, Thomas Aquinas. So we don't know how to define love. And so because we don't know what love is, we abuse the term. And uh, if we don't have a definition for this term, a, a good one that's in line with God, the way he sees it, then the definition that we make up is going to is going to navigate the way in which we manifest love in the world, what well we said. think love is. Well said, yeah. And so I think number one is we don't have an authentic definition of the terms that we use. So love, number one, what is love? Thomas Aquinas, he clearly breaks it down. Uh, love is desiring the greatest good for the beloved. It's very simple. Again, the church is very simple. And, right. and what does that practically look like? Well, like the cross, right. Jesus down on the cross for other people, sacrificing, being patient, kind, whatever. First Corinthians 13, four through seven. Um, when it comes to listening again, because we don't listen. I mean, I was never taught how to listen growing up. I wasn't, I was not taught. I mean, I was taught how to argue growing up, bro. Right. And so when you're talking, number one, if you say something I disagree with, I'm not listening to what you're saying. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say in response that's already. Right. Number two, it, even if that's not the case, when you're talking, I'm thinking about me now and how that relates to my life. And then instead of just going deeper with, tell me more, Mario, I'm going to say, that reminds me of this time, whatever. And I completely stop wherever it was that we were going to go. And I, I, I just... Listen, you remember, you're talking to a marriage counselor here. So, so I mean, I, I know the value of, of yeah. listening and the importance of it. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's everything like these simple grace pills on nature, right? Of course. Um, the extraordinary comes from ordinary supernatural follows from the natural. And so if we can't naturally listen well, then we're never going to be able to communicate a supernatural gift that we have in the sacramental life of the church in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, um, we're not taught that as a, as a society anymore. And again, to me, it goes back to fasting. 
Uh, we used to fast in the church, um, not just during Lent, but we used to fast throughout the entire year. Advent was a huge fasting season back then. And because we're not fasting um, from pleasure in general, um, we don't fast in our thoughts and the way we think to receive people and learn people. And we don't fast in our speech either. Well, that um, goes back to what you just said in terms of if we don't have our definitions right. And if we, if we think that love is just about me feeling good, well, then we don't have any concept of what fasting or sacrifice fits oh, within yeah. that. Or if yeah. love is just, yeah, just, just a pleasure, which it is. There's an element of love, absolutely, that there's emotional that we yeah, should feel sure. and, and fall in love, absolutely. But if it's only about, if I only feel loved when I have those feel-good feelings, then then nothing, sacrifice or fasting or any of those things don't don't compute within that definition and of love. And God won't be, can't be sustained that way because if God's supposed to make me feel good, then, uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I experience a lot more dryness in my relationship with God than I do the exciting times. When I had my conversion, it was like super exciting and there was like whatever, candy every day. Um, but, you know, now, like that's like few and far and few between, but those awesome, exciting times. It's hard. We're like an it's old hard. couple. What I love about the book invitational right throughout the whole thing when we talk about listening when we talk about loving when we talk about pointing people to jesus you have a couple stories in the book where you really kind of highlight the sense that right as i said earlier you don't have to swallow the whole catholic faith in one in one fail swoop right that there is this place of conversion and conversion meaning a progression a journey of faith yeah. towards a deeper understanding of god and where somebody is at the beginning of that is not where you expect somebody to be 15 years into it. Right, it's right? gradual. It's yeah. gradual. And so you talk about, this comes out a couple of places. When you talk about your own conversion story and how even uh, how God uh, used the false desires for, for acceptance, social acceptance, to be the thing that he actually used for your conversion. Like the prodigal son is actually, I was thinking that in my mind as I was reading, I stopped and I even wrote a note. I was like, this is like the prodigal son. And then I read the next paragraph. It's like, oh, well, I'm glad he thought that also. (laughs) So he's just like, oh, Josh said the same thing. All right, great. So so in the sense that like the prodigal son, he's sleeping out the pigs, right? And his whole motivation for coming back home is just, well, you know, at least my dad's servants aren't sleeping with pigs, right? They're better than me. Yes. And that's all the father takes, right? So that's one. So we could talk about that. But the other one that I really would like to actually spend some time speaking about is the story of, and I think I'm pronouncing her name right, Sierra? Sierra, yeah. Sierra. Yeah, just the way you walked with her and the way you detailed that in the the book. um, Yeah, she's so beautiful. I thought was was, was awesome. Yeah, what a glory story for her, you know? Yeah, amen. I I think... uh, and, and so I guess to, to lead into that, I, I think that many of us, we just struggle with our, oh, no, yeah, even some of my most awesome holy friendships, when we like have those good conversations, all of us, it's not just people who are in the beginning of the journey, we all just like, oh, when we're confronted with our mess, we're like, I'm still struggling. I'm still broken. Like, God, you really love me. Like, you, like, you see me and all of me, God, and you want me. And so it's like a daily reminder that we have to always immerse ourselves in that, that truth that, that God, his love is unconditional. But, um, but yeah, so she was a, a person who, she grew up Catholic and uh, she uh, was given the rules of the church. Right. No relationship. Went off to college and never stepped foot in the Catholic campus center ever, like student center ever. And then, um, her the summer before her last year her friends got plugged into our small group bible studies that we just started and we started doing these bible studies in the frat houses sorority house like the ones that were on campus and like again everybody like back into whatever the swing of it and so she came back in the fall and all of her closest friends were now coming to christ the king every day 
They were coming from daily mass. They were coming for confession, for a Bible study, for adoration, for praise and worship. And she was thinking like, what the heck is going on, my friends? Like we, like, I don't like the church. I disagree with the church's moral teachings. Uh, I, I, I never imagined that my friends would want to spend time at the Catholic Student Center. And so because of community, because she longed to be a part of a community, she would come with them because no one wants to be alone, no one wants to be rejected or abandoned. And so she would come, but she hated it. And, and I loved her so much because she made sure I knew it. She was like, Father Josh, I'm coming here, but I don't like it here. I don't, I don't like the Catholic church. I disagree with the church's teachings. And but that's great that she like even came to you, said that. Oh, I'm super grateful. Even the fact that she even like approached you meant that, you know, your, your vulnerability and your openness to, to disagreement was presence. Yeah. Right. That you were open to, to receiving that. And so, so even just the fact that she did that was great. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's the whole notion of, of, of being more inviting as a church is that God doesn't impose a relationship with the church and him on any of us. God proposes, like you propose to your wife, God proposes to you and I and says, will you be my disciple? Like, will you become a saint one day? Um, he invites us. Love, authentic love never forces and never imposes. And so I'm not going to force somebody who's coming to the Catholic Student Center to uh, be a disciple. I'm just going to say, I invite you. So what I did with her was I just said, look, I love having you here. And and um, I, I want you to know that like, I really enjoy you being here and you come to our Bible studies and coming to mass and adoration and praise and worship. And so you're welcome to come as you are. You don't have to change to come here because I knew from my experience that the more we come to God, God will change us over time. I knew that to be a fact. He did it with me. He does it with me because I still come to God and he still changes me every day because I'm still a sinner. And so there's still vices in my life that he's eradicating every day um, over time. Uh, and so I just, I knew that God and his will way in time would help her become a saint, whether I got to see it or not. And so she would come and the more she came, uh, the, the more we, her and I would sit down and talk and she would still let me know, Hey, look, I'm coming, but I still disagree with the church's teachings. I'm still going out doing X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay, thanks for coming. Keep coming, keep coming. And eventually through spending intentional time with Jesus in those Bible studies and, and learning his word, like, really encountering the real Christ as he presents himself to us in the gospels and through spending the amount of time that she spent in Eucharistic adoration when she didn't even believe, but she would still show up to the, the body of Christ. Like the centurion soldier showed up to the body of Christ when he was crucified and had that conversion. All of a sudden she came to want to be in a relationship with Jesus, but still she was like, yo, father Josh, I love Jesus now, but I still disagree with some of the, the, the things that the church teaches and that he teaches, but I really like him though. And I was like, great, just keep coming to Jesus awesome. now. And then all of a sudden after her coming to Jesus now and everything else, whatever, over time, uh, she not only came to fully grasp and like be on board uh, with everything he teaches us through his church that he found 2000 years ago, but she discerned religious life to become a nun. Wow. I don't think I mentioned that in the book. I don't uh, think so. I, yeah, I, I didn't. No. Um, yeah. I, I kept that reverent because this discernment, I don't want to like her to read the book and be like, we're, we're still her discernment process right now. We have to reverence that, you know? Of course. Um, of course. But yeah. She's discerning religion. Or she, she did. I don't know where she is anymore, but she, for a period, she discerned to become a nun, a bride of Christ. Um, all because she was invited to simply come. And that's what, you know, Christ spent time with tax collectors and sinners and, 
And over time, they had a transformation. It wasn't this thing where he went and hung out with them within a day because we look at Peter and Peter's journey is one of continual conversion. And this isn't just Peter before the cross and, and, and the resurrection. This is Peter after he's received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost when he went to the church in Galatia. He still kept messing up. And when he messed up, the church didn't say, okay, Peter, because you are the Pope now and because you are whatever, we're going to leave you because you, you're a hypocrite. No, Paul was like, you're a hypocrite, Peter, but I ain't going nowhere. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay in relationship with you mm -hmm. until you become a saint. And uh, if that could be more of our motto when we approach people, the motto of Jesus, the motto of the saints, uh, then I, I think we're, we would see a lot more fruit happen. But we have to, again, radically trust that Jesus Christ is present in his church and that he, he's a big boy. Yes. He, can, he can deal with people's mess. He can deal with our mess. And so there's and a knows. temptation to- And he knows he what's know, going on in people's lives. Yeah, and, and he there's knows. a temptation for all of us to resist you. It's like whenever, even like as a priest, you know, say if I like uh, I sin or whatever, there's a temptation to say, well, I'm not going to go to adoration until I go to confession. And God's like, don't know. I'm come to adoration still and go to confession as, as soon as possible. But like, don't not pray. Don't not spend time with me because you're broken. If, if you saw somebody- that was dying, like on this on the side of the street, someone just got shot, and you knew that you just committed a sin. Would you say, "Okay, I know it's part of my duty as a Christian to take care of those who are suffering, but I'm in sin right now." So, excuse me, sir. Wait till I go to confession, then I'm gonna come and enter into a relationship with you and take care of you. No, you would just go to that person as they were and as you were, and that's what God wants to do with Him. He's just come as you are and as I am, and and I'm gonna transform. My grace is yeah. sufficient. Yeah. It, yes. And I think of like with my kids, I, w I love when my kids come to me and when they tell me that they broke something or that they did something wrong and, and it's up to me as a parent to how do I respond to this? Do I, and sometimes I get upset or whatever, but often it's like trying to get better about this in my own life and growth and virtue to try to be more gentle in my response. Um, but, but that, but that's it, right? That, that we, again, are on a journey, right? And all we can do is just meet people where God invites us to meet them and we leave the rest up to him. I'm taking another quick break from my interview with Father Josh to invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. That's at Dr. Mario Sacasa. No periods, no spaces. I look forward to dialoguing with you on those platforms. Hope you're enjoying this episode. And let's get to the final part of the interview. Um, so one final question I want to ask, because in the book, you, you talk about this theme uh, at different points throughout, and it's part of your own journey. And so I want to reverence it. I want to respect it. But it seems that the, you've experienced, that seems, I mean, it's obviously your, your own experience that you, you have experienced the reality of racial prejudice and justice. Oh, yeah. And so that's a theme that that's touched on in the book. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to say too much because I know, I think there's another book coming there's out this, on, yeah. on that. So yes. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to give any <laughs> ideas away. So we can just kind of briefly talk about it now. And then maybe when you finish yeah, that book, sure. we can have another podcast yeah. talking about that particularly. So any way you want to go with this, tell uh, me just how you feel the sin has impacted you in your life. And then really, so that's one, but then also what do we what do we need to do better? God and bless if, you. Thank you. And if that is something that we can say for another interview, I'll be happy to do that. But, but at least to whatever degree we want to talk no, about definitely. it. You know, now I feel I'm so passionate to. about this topic of racism. Um, the church, the Catholic church in America um, has 
in general not addressed it very well. You know, there's been certain bishops that have tried and lay people along the way and religious, but um, in general, the reason why it's so important to me is because I came back to the sacraments. I came back to Jesus Christ and the Catholic church. I left the Catholic church when I was in high school, but I came back um, to Jesus because of the Eucharist. The, the, the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith is what brought me back. And the Eucharist is what sustains me in my vocation. And so many people in America, because I'll speak about racism in our country, um, are not in a relationship with Jesus in the Eucharist because of what we are not doing as Catholics. There are so many people that are ostracized and pushed away from the Blessed Sacrament. I believe that the saints were formed. This is the greatest saints, John Paul II, Mother Teresa, Martin the Porras. The list goes on and on and on. Padre Pio, these phenomenal saints in our church's history. Thomas Aquinas, Francis of Assisi, um, they were all formed in the Eucharist, the school of the Eucharist, the time they spent there. There are people, black people, in our geographical boundaries of our Catholic parishes that, and canon law says that we are responsible for every person in our geographical boundaries. And what we often do as a Catholic church is we accommodate those people who are in the pews and we will not go out to the neighborhoods that don't that don't look like the way we want our parishes to look, you know? And so these black people in America are not being invited to the sacraments. And if I didn't go to the Eucharist, I might still be out there in mortal sin. I was in mortal sin when I had my conversion. I might still be living a dead life Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the blessed sacrament. And so for me, it's all about salvation. When I went to Calcutta, Mother Teresa wrote on the, uh, there's a writing of Mother Teresa in her home for the dying and the destitute that when I saw it, it transformed my way of life. She wrote, I will give Holy Mother Church saints. My desire is to give God as a gift for him, like in the midst of my continual brokenness and imperfections and mess and sins, God still loves me and chooses me. And I'm so grateful that he wants to be in a relationship with me, even though I've hurt him so much throughout my walk toward eternity. And so in gratitude for what he's done for me, I want to give him saints. And I really believe that saints are going to be formed in the presence of the Eucharist, whether somebody's receiving the Eucharist or just going to Eucharistic adoration, uh, like my sister-in-law, she's Baptist and she goes to Eucharistic adoration all the time. Right. And she's growing. Oh my gosh. She's growing in so much holiness. Um, so my big issue is that, uh, and, and my proposal is, is that if the Catholic church could get on board and actually invite everyone to the Eucharist, which means we have to combat racism. What is racism? Racism is not prejudice that flows from racism. It is not stereotypes that flows from it. It is not discrimination that flows from it. Uh, racism f- from my definition that I propose uh, in my podcast, that I propose in my book that's going to come out next year. Uh, it is, uh, it's really rooted. It's institutional and it is rooted in practices and policies that accommodate and give access to one group of people for no other reason than because of the color of their skin and it oppresses and alienates and discriminates, which flows from it, another group of people for no other reason than because of the color of their skin. And, and we see this in our country clubs in America. Uh, we see this in swimming pools. We see this in Catholic schools, handbook policies uh, that, that say black girls can't have braids in their hair. Uh, when that's something that's natural to black girls' hairstyle, it says, if you want to come to our school, you have to have a European hairstyle. And so it it either kicks those students out of the school because they get suspended and expelled, or it stops them from ever applying to go to those schools. And if they're not going to Catholic schools, then how are these people going to be evangelized and brought to relationship with the Eucharist? 
there were so many, I could I just tell one story, but please, um, and please do. one of my, um, one of the experiences I had is, uh, I would, I would go walk and pray the rosary in my previous assignment, uh, which is an awesome parish. I mean, they are forming disciples. They have the acts program there now. It's like really booming as far as like their love for Jesus. And so I would, uh, but the parish is predominantly white, but geographical boundaries, there's a lot of blacks there too. And a, and a, a very low income neighborhood as well poor black neighborhood. And so I would go and pray my rosary there daily. And I just walk through the neighborhood, pray the rosary and meet people. Now in this neighborhood, the parish had already supported them through St. Vincent de Paul and through other like social works, which was a gift. Um, but I wanted these people to come to the sacraments because I knew what the sacraments did for me. And so I would just go and try to be in a relationship with them where they were at. And one day a very, like very well-known parishioner in my, my, my church um, powerful parishioner, I'll say that, you know, for the role that she had, she asked me one day, she said, why do you keep going to that neighborhood? And, yeah, and I said, well, I said, because I want to pray, I just pray them. No, she said, what are you doing over there? So I told him, praying the rosary, walk over there. She said, why do you keep going over there? And I said, well, because I want for them to come here. And she said, but why? We already give them like St. Vincent Paul. We already take care of their bills. We already give them food. Why do you want them, black people, to come over here? And I said, because I want them to be saints and I want them to come into the sacraments. And she said, but don't they have their own churches to go to? Why do they have to come here? And this is a woman who is very, you know, like well-known in the parish, very active in the church, whatever. Uh, but her, she saw it as they don't, black people don't belong here in my white church, essentially. Right. Don't, don't bring those kind of people to us. And, um, all the while you're serving there as parochial vicar? All the while she's receiving from his black priest, right? That's right. Um, and, and, and so it's one of those things where um, I think that a, a, a lot of Catholics, um, and Martin Luther King said it when he was alive, he said the most segregated time in, 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 in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning when we're at church. That's right. Um, and so uh, I think if we really believed that the Eucharist was God, and this goes back to the, the current book, if we really believe that Jesus Christ is God, is who, is who he says he is, and if we believe that Jesus Christ is present in the Eucharist, then if we receive such a great gift, then shouldn't we want to share that gift with everybody and not let them settle for Jesus, um, his spirit and Jesus in the word, but not Jesus in the sacrament? Um, and so, and racism really like, it keeps so many black people away from the church because the church won't speak out against this in general, like some bishops have, but because they haven't, so many of my family members are not Catholic because of the church's lack of a stance on um, country clubs and on school handbook policies and on swimming pools and on fraternity systems at, at LSU that are still segregated um, by practice only, not by policy, because if there's a policy, they would get shut down, but the practice is we don't let them in. Um, and, uh, and we don't see it. We don't see blacks in leadership in the church and our chanceries. We don't see, we don't have a seat at the table. And so we have white people to, to saying, okay, well, this is what we're going to do to serve black people. How about you invite a black person to sit at the table with you and tell you how we could best receive the gift of the church, right? It goes back to listening and fasting from what we think. And so we don't see that enough. And so there are so many people that I fear won't become saints, um, because of what we're not doing and what we can be doing. And I just want saints. I want people to get to heaven. I want people to be in a personal vital relationship with the Eucharist. Um, there's nothing, Jesus Christ is sufficient. And there's nothing that satisfies more than the, the blessed sacrament, the source and summit of our faith. And so we have a, a great gift. We have a, a huge responsibility 
as a church in general, which is universal, which if you look all over the world, we're Africa, we're, we're all over the world. We are black, we are white, we are Spanish. We are the saints, our St. Kateri, Tegakutha, St. Josephine Makita, St. Martin the Porus, St. John Paul II, St. Paul Miki. Like all over the world is the saints. And so our church in America needs to look more like the universal church. Uh, and right now we don't because we settle for being comfortable and uh, we, we settle for... Uh, I'm just going to stop right there because the word I was about to use was going to have to be edited out. So, yes. So that's my, my spiel on that. Beautiful. Yeah. Preach it. So we'll, when you get that book done, uh, yeah, we'll no. focus a whole episode on, on that. Sweet. If you, if you yeah, open it, sure. coming back. Oh, God bless you. I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. So with that said, bringing it back to, to the book, uh, Broken and Blessed here, um, it seems in everything you just said, that the message is let's remove as many obstacles that are in the way. Mm-hmm. And if, and if racism is one of them, which it is for yes. many people, but what do we need to do to remove that? If people are too caught up in, in the rules and in the regulations, what do we need to, do to remove that? Not in a way that says permissiveness, no, no, not at all. Like don't, don't misconstrue that, but just in a way that really harnesses and focuses on Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and the sacraments and the beauty that he has given to us and the, the means that he's given to us to be able to encounter him. How can those rules become a bridge for us to go deeper with the Lord? Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, Rearticulate them in a way that is conducive for someone to become a virtuous saint. That's it. And not communicate them in a way that is ugly. Right. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, the rules are there to help us. They are. And they're a gift to me. And they're a gift to me. Safe. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah. every time I've tried to buck them, I realize, oh, wait, no, I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but there's a process within one's formation that you come to knowing that. So- Thank you for man. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Any, anything you want, anything else you want to plug? You know, so the book is a broken and blessed an invitation to my generation. You can order it at ascensionpress.com, www.ascensionpress.com. And, uh, it would be out September 13th. And, uh, so please order it, share it. You can use it for small groups, for personal time with the Lord or for whatever. Um, specifically, I think it would be a gift for people who are struggling, um, with their faith, um, journey, um, and help them. And then also you can tune into my podcast, ask father Josh, it's on iTunes and anywhere else where podcasts are available. And please pray a rosary for me. Offer a few masses for me uh, and my parish that we together will become saints because I'm certainly a sinner who is striving for holiness, but I'm not going to ever propose that I'm there wherever there is because I'm not. So pray for me to, to have a, a conversion, a deeper conversion every day. And I'll pray for you. Amen. Thanks, Father Josh, for joining us today. Thanks for listening to the show. Please support Father Josh and his ministry. And remember to subscribe to my show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be good. And remember, there's always hope.